Welcome. I'm Casada Bowman. Today, my guest is Chef Mona Lena Michael. She joins us from Oakland, California. Chef Mona is a Palestinian-American chef who has worked for over a decade at some of the best restaurants in San Francisco. French, Italian, Japanese techniques are all in her wheelhouse. She brings those skills to the kitchen and creates a modern twist when it comes to Palestinian cuisine. So I'll start by asking Chef Mona, have you eaten yet? And if you have, what did you eat today? Uh, I have eaten. Um, I actually got a fresh delivery of Hella bagels this morning. Um, it's a, a friend of mine that started his bagel business out of his home a couple years ago. Bomb. So we had like sesame and poppy and everything. Bagels with like lox cream cheese and mango habanero cream cheese. It was fire. Awesome. Uh, this company... How are they doing? How are they doing during all He's this? He's great. I mean, his his model is set up to succeed. He's a, a, a one-man show. You know, he does all the prep, all the production, and then has delivery drivers. So he's actually been flourishing in this time because nobody can leave, and they're getting free bagels delivered or bagels delivered free to their house. So it's been going Amazing. well for him. Yeah. Well, we're going to jump into the current situation. Um Right now, as you mentioned, Bay Area, fully locked down, no yeah. more outdoor dining, um, gatherings forbidden, non-essential trips are not allowed until at least January 4th. Restaurants can serve food and cocktails via takeout and delivery, as you mentioned. Currently, no financial assistance from the federal government. Um, here in New York today, we found out actually um, – New York City, as of Monday, no more indoor dining. My restaurant is on Long Island. So because of the different, just a couple counties over, we are still good to go here at 50% capacity at the time of this recording. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll see Monday, they think it might go down to 25%. And that allows me about 12 people inside. It's December in New York. So outdoor dining not really a way for me to survive long term. Right. Many, many restaurants, though, around the country are cutting their losses, closing permanently. Others are hibernating for the winter. Takeout and delivery doesn't fully support a restaurant's bottom line, at least mine. Um, this cycle, of course, leads to an increase in unemployment. Chef Mona, what has the last week been like for you when it comes to dealing with the latest lockdown and restrictions how are you making a living right now? And also, what are you hearing from others in the food scene there? Um, well, for me, um, I have been doing um, a pop-up at a bar in Oakland um, where people were, we kind of were relying on each other as the bar can't serve alcohol unless there's food. And they provide me with a place to serve food that had outdoor seating so it was a nice little uh, match, but that's obviously shut down now. So my pop-up was pretty much shut down immediately last week. Um, so there's that. Um, from there, I've had to pivot once again, because we've all been pivoting for almost a year now. Um, and I, I quickly put together an online store, um, uh, kind of like for the holidays where I've like made baklava tins and um, mezes and jars and, and meze gift baskets and stuff like that. Um, 
which has been doing really well, um, but not as like um, lucrative as people sitting down and eating uh, live. (laughs) Um, So there's, there's been that for me. So I'm pivoting there and, and I'm in the process of coming up with a, a, either a take home brunch or a take home dinner and a Christmas day brunch or dinner as well. Um, just because, I mean, that's the only way to go right now, considering it's takeaway only. Um, <clears throat> everybody else is kind of in the same boat. Everybody is finding a way to pivot for the holidays, especially the timing is kind of, uh, perfect for people to market all their new twists for the holidays. Um, but what I find that creates is like heavy competition amongst peers. If we're all pivoting into doing a take home dinner and a once a week, like food delivery, and we're all doing some sort of gift basket and we're all do or a gift box or whatever we we end up becoming each other's competition at the same time that we're all supporting each other. Um, and, and it kind of levels everybody into the same competitive field because we're all doing the same thing, pretty much like di- different variations of the same thing, but generally the same thing where people pretty much have to pre-order their food now and plan ahead. Um, so, and so that's kind of where I'm at right now. <laughs> um, yeah. It's interesting because there is no, no matter how you deal with it, it does create competition because there's only so many pre-order looking ahead. What can we do? Um, so it's so interesting that you brought that up. Cause I, I honestly, before we even spoke, I didn't even think about that, but when you said it, it hit me like, yes. And that's just a whole other, like, mentally a whole other thing that you that shouldn't be happening right now you know but it is a reality it is a reality and it's almost like who beats you to who beats everybody to the punch who gets their idea out first and gets the attention like and and people like me that are kind of doing their own pop-ups because of the coronavirus like people that have lost their jobs and are popping up in a different way or reinventing themselves in a different way um we can't compete with restaurants because restaurants have that. I can call and place an order really fast. Like I'm guilty. I am not good at planning my meals like five, six days out. Like it's not something that works for my lifestyle and my household. Like even pre-ordering hella bagels for this, this morning was like a big ass deal. Like I told my husband, I was like, there's bagels coming at eight fifty, And he's like, what from where? Like, what are you talking about? I was like, Oh, I ordered them a week ago. Like, that's crazy, you know? So um, not everybody not only has that in them, but, like, I also don't want to decide six days from now what I'm going to eat for dinner. And I totally understand that on a consumer side um, as a chef. So we're, we're, we're having to, like, really, like, make something that's, like, worth waiting for. We're really, like, trying to wow um I guess the audiences or the customers around us um, to make them be like, Oh, I'll, I will wait for that. Fuck. Yeah. I'll drive to Oakland and pick that up. Like that's uh, which is really cool for the consumer because they're getting all these bomb ass like meals that these chefs are now like having all this creative freedom to do. So it's, it's, I don't know. It's all like kind of a reliant on each other. It's, It's a weird dynamic. It's definitely new. And there's times where you like put something out 
and it doesn't, people don't bite. And you're like, well, what the fuck did I do wrong? Or like, what was it that didn't sell? Or what was it about it that didn't sell this time? Um, so it's, it's very up and down. Um, yeah. <laughs> it is. And it's weird because w- when you think about it, we're in this age of Grubhub and all of this. Ooh, I just decided to do it. And 15 minutes later, it's at my door. So you're at right. that combined with looking ahead and supporting you know, the right, not the right people, but supporting people who you really want to see succeed throughout this. And then also when the first lockdown happened, I own a daytime restaurant. So we, you know, it's, it's fast pace. It's, it's in, it's out. It's 30, you know, minute turn time for a two top type of thing. Right. And we're used to doing that business. And when we're like, all right, we'll try takeout and delivery. And it wasn't the jam that we thought it was going to be. I mean, we ended up closing like three weeks later. We were like, "Mm, this isn't like, it's not set up for that, you know, at this point. So if we were to be completely to just take out and delivery, then we would do a completely different concept. Right. You know, like that's what we learned. Like, okay, this, our food isn't necessarily set up for takeout. So like you said, you put things out there. We'd probably try to come up with a whole different concept for takeout, something completely that we're not known for and see if that hits. Right. Does it hit? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) We'll find out. It depends on how people are feeling that week. (laughs) Right. Or who else is doing other things and what what they're doing that week, you know? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Well, so I think it's a good segue into pop-ups. Um, so many chefs out of work. There's been a rise in home cooking setups and pop-ups in the Bay Area. Chef Mona, you started a pop-up before the one that you just were talking about at the bar. Um, from what I've read, when you started, the pop-up that you're about to tell us all about was once a week, you would sell out within 20 minutes. And at its height, an anonymous person complained and reported you to the health department. They showed up with cops, shut you down. So mm-hmm. this leads into a greater conversation. Pop-ups are accepted, but technically illegal. And that's just worldwide. You know, I don't think everyone understands that because you see pop-ups everywhere around the world all the time. Chefs of, you know, all calibers doing them, but technically illegal. Um, this pandemic has put a spotlight so many things. I mean, from Black Lives Matter on down to here we go with the social construct of pop-ups, issues that need improvement. And I think that pop-ups and the right to legally work and make a living is one of those things that this light has been shown on. So personally, I've hosted a pop-up at my restaurant for years now. Um, The same chef has used our space for these dinners pretty much bi-monthly for over five years. Like I said, we're a daytime restaurant, so the space is available at night. It's sitting there. It makes sense for us to utilize that space and rent that out. Um, I handle the beverage menu and sales for his dinners. We're operating by the book as much as possible. The liquor license is in my name. I'm there serving that liquor, managing those sales. He has his own insurance policy that covers these dinners in our space, but Still, doing all that, pop-ups are in this gray zone in our industry, no matter how many rules you follow. So, you know, after being shut down, 
I know that you applied for permits or, or tried to. You tried to legalize your operation immediately. You saw the demand, obviously, was there for your products. You wanted to operate by the books. I read that for an extended period of time, you weren't even receiving any responses from the health department. So I want to know, where does all of that stand today? And also, if you think that as an industry, we need to reform pop-ups on some level in order to make it easier and accessible for everyone to operate and make a livable wage. Yeah. So there's a lot of parts to this. So I'm going to start with the health department. Um, so it's December now and um, it's taken until last week on Thursday evening, which was the same night that it was announced that the area is going on a full lockdown, that the health department finally called me for my interview for my catering permit. So I had like been submitting info and doing all that. So it was, it was interesting. Like I went and put in my uh, like paid my application fee, dropped everything off. Um, It took three weeks for them to cash my check alone. And then it was another week after my check was cashed that I even gotten, got an email back about anything. And then, um, like I said, that's now three weeks later, I got a phone call from a a number I didn't recognize. So I didn't pick it up. And it happened to be the health department trying to make an appointment with me for my interview for my catering permit. Um, I literally called them back two minutes later. They didn't pick up. And now it's a full week later and I haven't heard back from them since. So it's just like, it's one of those things where it's like, if you don't, if you're not there on your phone, like ready to take a call, you're going to miss something. And then you're like back. It seems like you're just back in the queue of their rounds again. There's Mm -hmm. no like actual attention to each case. Um, So that's where I'm at with that. But literally once I have the interview and pay another $800, then I'll have my catering permit. And that'll allow me to then pop up legally, like on the street pop up legally um, like at, at, at farmers markets and, and parks and festivals and stuff. So um, there's that um, on the subject of pop up pop-ups and they're like semi legality, but like legal, but not so legal Oakland actually like after I've been diving into like this world ever since all that stuff happened to me, I have found that there is a way for restaurants to legally be hosting sites for a pop-up. There's like certain criteria that that restaurant needs to fulfill, like, like uh, a bathroom facility for hand washing, like, I don't know, like a three basin sink for dishwashing, like a sanitation plan, like stuff like that. Um, but what's Which is totally standard. Very like standard. You literally can't even operate a restaurant without all those things. Correct. Um, but like, it's really interesting because they get you on both ends. Like me as the chef, I have to pay for a permit to be hosted. And then the rest, the bar or restaurant has to pay for a permit to host me. And so like I started my pop-up out of disparity, not out of like, Hey, I'm trying to start a business. Like I have all this money to throw down on this business and get it started. So I'm going to go ahead and do that. It was like, Oh shit. Our federal funding just stopped. Uh, I, there's no jobs. There are jobs, but they're minimum wage. So I might as well not even bother risking my health for them. So like, that's how the, the Menaish lady happened. It was literally like, 
we had just moved into this new spot. Like I had an oven that like baked bread pretty well, better than my old place. And so I was like, fuck it. I'll just like make some menaish and some hummus for the neighborhood. And I like posted it on like, I don't know if next door is worldwide. I have no idea, but like next door app for our neighborhood, like, Hey, I'm a chef out of work. I'm like doing some stuff. And so, um, yeah, like it was, it was out of necessity. I'm going, I'm going too far. So we'd, I've, I've now spent at least $2,000 trying to make my operation legal. And like, not everybody has that. (laughs) And like, to be fair, like the, the pandemic has depleted a lot of my funds. And so it's like, now it's December. I've spent $2,000 plus on getting everything legal. Like, I'm still not technically legally operating right now, technically, but like, oh, well, like I'm going to do what I have to do. So um, it's just interesting. It's like this weird catch. And ever since this happened to me, I've been pretty involved with um, AB 626, which is like a law that California on the state level actually passed, allowing home cooks to produce food as long as there there's all these restrictions and stipulations. Like you can't sell more than $50,000 a year. You can't um, serve more than 20 meals a day. Um, everything that you prepare that you're going to sell needs to be prepared, be prepared the day in which you sell it for like purpose of like refrigeration space and households and stuff. So um, there have been a couple people like lobbying hard in the Bay Area to get it passed. Um, I know that they are voting or voted recently. Um, I haven't followed up, but like this is like a huge uh, new thing. It's not new, but it's newly like big um, in the industry because everybody needs this to happen and pass for them right now. Um so it's it's actually really cool. The city of Oak. I sat I sat in a hearing a month ago just to hear kind of what's going on. <clears throat> and the city of Oakland heard a uh, presentation about <clears throat> the from the health department on why AB six two six is a horrible horrible idea. They're pretty much like want to wash their hands of it and not deal with it because the state yes has passed it, but they're requiring every county to either adopt or turn it away. They're leaving it up to each county to do it, but adopting it means more work for the health department that they don't want to do. They're already behind on all their shit. So they did this like elaborate presentation on everything that's wrong with AB 626 and like sanitation and zoning and blah, 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 which was all silly because the restrictions on it are like, you can't serve more than 20 people a day. There's no crazy like mass trash heap that's going to end up in front of somebody's house and all this extra oil that they need to disperse, like get rid of. So it was really interesting because I I can't remember the guy's name, but after that presentation, the guy from the city of Oakland was like, you know, what's interesting is I was looking at your guys's budget last night before this hearing. And it looks like y'all have a lot of money that you're not using. Right. So why don't you guys go back and come up with a plan because we think that AB 626 is needed more than ever now. So it's really interesting is the city is like all for it, but the health department seems to not want to put in the work for it. So, yeah, there's a little inside drama there that I got to witness. (laughs) That's so interesting. Well, and how different departments, this just happened today, actually to me, the, 
code enforcement officer came in with, well, first of all, he already has, uh, most places like code enforcement department should already have your occupancy. He has, he has it. We've given it to him before, like whatever. But he, he asked, can you email me your occupancy? Sure. Email the occupancy. Homeboy is going to come in with a, a occupancy for 50%. Um, now, now I just find it funny because um, we're allowed to reopen in 50% in New York state in June. So mm-hmm. we have not had any COVID occupancy letter from the village or anything at all until today when probably Monday, if you know, it will probably be down to the 25%. Why are you waiting till December? Like it's just all these things that don't make sense. And I didn't feel like going and taking a picture. It was up high, the occupancy. So I sent him one that I happen to have my phone from 2017. And he's like, by the way, I, I don't think you're in uh that I think you need a new department of health, uh, placard. And I was like, Sir, we're all good and up to date. This is a picture of my phone. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah, it's calm just down. so funny. Like, we couldn't even be in business. Like, use some common sense. We could not right. be in business, sir. It's 20, about to be 2021 if we are using that. Like, of course they've been mm-hmm. here. But that so shows you that they, they know that they're super behind. Like, he's like, oh shit, we slipped up. Like, now he's assuming that they slipped up and like we're behind. Right. You never gave us the occupancy all these months for 50% capacity. Now, because we might go to 25%, you want to come late with that? So it's just all these things, even in a good year previous Mm -hmm. to COVID, it's it's a racket when it comes to the health department. And I remember I watched your Instagram video when this initially happened back in September, and you were very transparent and very open and honest. And I said, I want to interview her. I want to be her friend. (laughs) I was just (laughs) annoyed, dude. It was just like shitty. And I know who reported me. And what's even shittier, it's, it's a minority owned restaurant that reported me. That's like a couple doors down. And like, that's what's like the annoying part is like they busted me out for trying to make a living and it's really shitty. Like, uh, anyway, because wow. everyone's like, what Karen freaking reporting? I'm like, y'all don't even know. It was not a Karen. It was one of like, it was a colored, a, a, a immigrant of color, like of color, like, which is what's shocking. So, wow. Yeah. I was just hella so- mad. And there you go with what you mentioned before this conversation with the, with the stress that we're all dealing with, but now you put that competition in, right? So you led someone like someone got insecure for a second. doesn't matter if it's once a week for 20 minutes, they got hurt. Mm -hmm. Well, their line blocked their, my line blocked their door. Like my line was extending down the sidewalk and in front of their establishment. So like, instead of thinking, Oh, like, this is going to give me more business because people are going to know I exist. It was a, oh, hell no, this bitch is taking away my business when none of these guests would have come to you to begin with anyway. So don't worry. Like they they were looking for your food anyway. Like, and maybe they need a bathroom in the 20 minutes that they're waiting there and you get to sell them a soda. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) I don't sell sodas. Like, (laughs) yeah, Yeah, it was just, I was just hella mad and I was just like, at a loss. You know what I mean? Because like the day that that happened, like you got to understand I was baking out of my house out of an electric oven and 
you have to be up at 4.30 in the morning to produce that much product to sell it at noon. So I had been all morning like working, prepping, setting everything up, like racing the clock. I had sold like to three people before they shut me down. So I'm sitting there with like 50 fucking flatbreads and like uh, like two gallons of hummus that like I would never know what the fuck to do with. And I was like, well, can I just give it out? They're like, no, you need a permit to give things out too. So like, it was just crazy. And uh, yeah, so when I went on that day, I was just like at a loss. Like now I'm on the radar. Now they're going to be watching me. I can't even do this behind or under the radar anymore. Like all I was trying to do was make some extra cash. And so now I'm fucking stuck. So yeah, that was, that video was out of genuine frustration and anger. Well, it was real and that's what I appreciate. And it showed, it was just an authentic moment. And it did bring to light, like for me, when I watched it, I, I've owned my restaurant for five years now. And I remember like early on, I used to be shook when the health department would come in. I'm like, oh yeah, oh my gosh, da, da, da. like undo. Like, why am I so scared at this moment? And now after a few years, it's like, all right, here we go again. Because my restaurant is beyond their requirements of of clean, you know, the cleanliness, you know, the level of that and all of that. But no matter what, it's a racket. Okay. It's like the mob, okay, on some level, because it doesn't matter how great you are and how clean and how you are meeting all those checklists. They still want to mark something off. It could be the smallest thing. And they say it to you as well. Like we'll have real conversations. I'll be leading the person around and they'll be like, well, you know, I got to, everything's so good. I got to put something down or else my boss is going to look like, uh, and, and also what's crazy to me, So it's like you can, so for people who aren't aware, you can have minor marks and they'll say like your, your restaurant is immaculate. It's so clean. I got to mark you down for not having uh, the doorknob in, you know, like, oh, oh, okay. Just so it doesn't, you know, I can go ahead with my boss and get a, you know, whatever gold star. But what's crazy is when, so I'll start talking to them. Like I'm talking to you right now. Like, all right, so where you been? Where, where were you earlier? Da, 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 da. And they'll never mm-hmm. disclose the restaurant, but they always tell me the craziest stories. And I'm mm-hmm. like, Mona, how <laughs> is this place? They'll be like, oh, rats roll over. And I'm like, really? excuse me. Yeah. So they're in business. Yeah, they're in business. How? Well, I mean, they, they get, they get fined. So, so for people who don't understand who are listening, like average customers, so you can get critical markings as well. Critical means they will be like, you need to fix that right now. We need to call an exterminator. There's rats all around, et cetera, et cetera. You pay fines and your doors are open and still serving. Yeah. It's not like you're closed down for the safety and health of the public. Like though you should be, Yes. It's, it's like, it's a racket. And they're only like, I don't know how New York is or Long Island is, but like, they're so behind over here that they, when they do show up, they literally are like, we only show up when there's complaints right now. We're so behind that we are only responding to complaints from, from the public. And like, it's just crazy. So like the last place I was working at before coronavirus, like, here's an example. Um, Somebody had reported to the health department that one of our employees 
was obviously not feeling well and working. Like they were sniffling or sneezing or whatever the heck it was. I don't even know. I couldn't even tell you who it was or what happened. Like, but they showed up, the health department showed up two weeks after that complaint when we were closed at like three 30 after lunch and before dinner and said, we got this complaint, blah, 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 blah. We have to do an inspection. And I'm like, okay, I get that. <laughs> I get it. But what is you inspecting my kitchen and my two prep cooks in the back going to do for the fact that somebody complained that I was letting a front of house employee work ill? Like, this, there's no correlation here at all. Like you're not accomplishing anything right now. You're walking through my kitchen is spotless and empty and everything is to a T. There's no guests being served. There's no bartender. There's no servers. Nobody's fucking here. What are you actually investigating right now? Like you're not investigating anything. So it's just all, it just seems like it's all for show. And just like you said, like there's restaurants that I've worked at that are like, fucking spotless like I would lick the counter spotless because I know that that's how clean it operates but they'll be like oh uh this uh I don't know this thermometer in this fridge isn't working so ding whereas like you see other places that are like I would never even like trust to eat at just due to like the visible filth of the place, like you just look and can see how filthy it is that are operating fine at like a 70% score. And I'm like, this isn't grade school. A C isn't, shouldn't be passing when you're a restaurant because you can still be getting people sick. The 30, whatever you want to call it, like 30% of the people are going to be getting sick. Like it's, it's, it is, it's a racket. And I think, um, like you said, it's definitely all for show. Like, stop acting like you're these like overlords of health. You don't give a fuck about that. You're just no. going through the motions every day. It completely. And then we dealt with something a few years ago. It was um, the previous inspector didn't notice something and it needed, it wasn't on the plan and they needed it to be on the plan. Long story short, is we had to spend. $1,500 for an architect to add this small thing to a plan. And it was this big thing where kind of like you're saying now, w- I would call, couldn't get through, email, no one would respond. This thing went on mm-hmm. for like a year and a half and mm-hmm. it all came down to money. Right. So this is where kind of full circle with where we started with the pop-ups and accessibility and mm-hmm. how we can in this country not have a certain overlord, you know, like this department working with people. So if you are whoever you are and whatever your circumstance, you want to start selling something tomorrow, it's as easy as, and in a healthy way and in a safe way with accountability, you go on, you do this, it's accessible and you can start and do it with, for not a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just wish that we could have some reform moving forward in that direction. Right. Hopefully AB 626 is that good first step because the restrictions are very minimal and they're very um, doable um, as a home cook. There's just certain requirements that you have to have and and keep your like 
all your packaging and your food related stuff, like in a separate storage area, not with like the rest of your food for your household. It's very doable. And I think it's such like a great first step for people that, especially now with COVID, like even before COVID, but especially now with COVID with people like out of work and there are literally no jobs, literally none to have like, and, and what they do is cook. Like this is a perfect first step for them because you're not, there's no overhead. You're cooking out of your house. Like my electric bill went up the ass. Like it was insane, but <laughs> cause I had an oven on for eight hours a day. But like, um, generally speaking, like it's, it's a perfect way for people to put money away, to be able to expand their operation, to be able to become a legal pop-up or a, whatever, uh, uh, find a space and become a restaurant. Like it's, it's a really helpful way to, to make that money when you don't have it. Yeah. And insurance is another racket like that. You know, like so many of us, uh, pay out too much money in my opinion for insurance that as we learned during this pandemic, a lot of us tried myself included we did not get any interruption of service claim denied denied yep. and it's a, it's, a, it's everyone is denied for that so it's like similar to the health department insurance is like that as well and we've learned a lot this year through that and and not being covered covered when you know for this pandemic and things like that and it kind of brings back to the pop-ups like there needs to be stages so maybe like what you're talking about right here like that's a good introductory stage you get to a next stage where you want to pop up in a restaurant you want to serve customers and you want to rent out a space and everyone needs to be on the same page it needs to be health department insurance it needs to be one thing where if i want to do this no matter what level i can go there because i remember dealing you know trying to help the chef that rents from us like uh, like our sales were mixed in and it was like the insurance, our insurance was like, you need to have different, he needs to have his own insurance. Okay. He wants to do this. So what, what can you give me? And they're like, well, it's kind of a gray area, you know, like yeah. there's always like, okay, there's he's trying to do the right thing. He's trying to like, give you oh, money. No. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's so nice. hopefully moving forward, we can work on that as an industry. I hope so. So in Southern California, um, much different, (laughs) always has been from the Bay Area. Uh, Southern California, I wouldn't say there's a flat out denial about COVID, but it (laughs) does seem that survival and the need to move forward and make a living has taken center stage for some restaurant owners there. Um, Certainly not all. Orange County definitely seen their fair share of resistance to restrictions, mask wearing, Um, some LA restaurants though, still setting up outdoor seating and tables, but not serving customers. So you get takeout food from a restaurant and then you can sit at their outdoor tables, for example, or some places are converting their outdoor dining areas into public parklets, offering seating to anyone, not just customers. Um, it's not clear if these restaurants will be held accountable or will be hit with fines or suspended liquor license, but I want to get your perspective on this defiance since local yeah. officials did shut you down and they hit you in your pockets. Um, so it kind of goes along with what we were talking about. Do you feel that officials pick and choose their battles 
Or do restaurants tend to slide by while pop-ups perhaps are made an example more often? And also, do you think that some Bay Area restaurants will also defy the outdoor ban as days turn into weeks? Um, so, first of all, people are already defying the outdoor ban in the Bay. I know Joe's in San Francisco literally <laughs> just finished their crazy build out for their patio. And they're like, fuck this. We're, we're serving. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. I just saw the article yesterday that they're serving food wow. still. Um, and I watched a video of, I forget the guy's name and the restaurants that he owns. I hadn't heard of them before, but there's a chef and chef restaurant owner in SoCal that was like, I have a fucking warehouse of plexiglass I can't use anymore. Now I have a warehouse of heat lamps. My restaurants are staying open. I don't give a shit. So I'm waiting to see what happens there. From what I understand, because now I've been rent, I've run into the health department and Oakland zoning in the last six months, is they are literally only checking up on things based off of complaints. Period. So as long as I feel like the, pers- the reality is as long as you don't have like a Karen next door to you, that's pissed that you're risking people's lives in their mind or not their mind. I'm not going to go there, but um, unless you have somebody calling the departments on you, like you're pretty much cool. Um, my opinion on it is um I I understand both sides. I understand the concern for public health and safety. Um, I also understand that restaurants are dying to stay alive right now. And they're being put in a position where it's like, either I hibernate and just pay rent until all this passes, or I keep opening and closing and changing my concepts upon the whims of the world right now, or say, fuck it. This is my business. This is a free country and I'm going to serve food if I want to serve food and I'm serving it safely. And I know I'm doing it safely. Um, Cause there are, there are different like to me levels of what people are doing. Like I've seen restaurants that are like to a T like every possible detail that they've they could have thought of they've thought of to make it as contactless and safe as possible and those are the moments where i've like oh i actually really feel safe here like i'm nowhere near anybody the server isn't like hovering around my table i'm sitting here eating and about to leave in and out where there's other places where i'm like all right i guarantee you didn't sanitize this table before i sat down there's fucking flies flying over my head because your seating is next to your fucking dumpster. Like, you know, like it's, there's, there are certain situations that are like, all right, y'all really shouldn't be open, cut your losses and just hibernate for the winter. Um, So um, my opinion is that the restaurants that are really taking health and safety seriously um, should be able to operate outdoors at least. And I know it's December, but we're in California. We're not in New York. So it's not it's not snowing and like fucking like 20 degrees outside. Like I think the coldest day has been like 42 degrees yeah. in the last three weeks. So um, I just think that outdoor seating should be allowed. I totally get the indoor thing. Like I haven't eaten indoors, even though indoor dining opened up and I won't. That's just like, for me, it's like a closed confined area 
people have to take their masks off to eat and drink. People fucking like talk and scream in restaurants, spit flying everywhere. Like that's not something I'm comfortable with. Um, I just feel with the restaurants. Like I, I know that I've gone through my own shit, but I feel like restaurant owners are just getting dragged around through the mud. Like every time they dump thousands of dollars into this new restriction and new pivot, it gets shut down and they have to like go and do something else and spend more money like, yeah. or shut down. So yeah. it sucks. <laughs> When you don't have, I'm like, listen, I don't have thousands of dollars, so right. <laughs> we didn't we didn't build anything. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just trying to cook. Like, I'm cooking out of a commissary kitchen, yep. like that is like a nightmare to me. I'd so much rather be cooking in my own house. Like, like for example, on Thanksgiving morning, I had like 30 families pre-order Thanksgiving meals, and I showed up in the morning like four hours before their pickup to like. I do as everything as fresh as possible. So I was like going to make the stuffing early and this and that and like seven pounds of ground Wagyu and four dozen squash blossoms had just gone missing overnight. And those are like the nightmares of having a commissary kitchen that you are a part of is people are shady and you know, somebody was like, Ooh, a box of Wagyu and squash blossoms. Happy Thanksgiving to me. I'm out like, and took the box. So the it's it's a struggle in that sense but it's not a struggle in the sense that like these people are fighting for their livelihood and fighting for restaurants that were wildly successful for the last one two three five ten years like this italian restaurant two italian restaurants that have opened for 10 and 14 years in oakland and berkeley have had to shut down like it's one of my favorite italian restaurants like i couldn't wait to go back to it what's the name every dopo uh, Dopo and Corso, they both closed. I hadn't been to Corso yet, but Dopo was like the one for me. I loved Dopo. Um, and it's just it's just sad to see like people's life work getting shut down just because the government isn't helping them out the way they're helping out the airline, airline. industry and the retail industry. Like they're not, they're not helping us out. And it's, 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 that's the catch that we're in. Like we'll shut down. All of us will be happy to shut down and stay safe and not expose ourselves to random guests every day. We'd be happy to do that and shelter in place like the rest of the fucking world. But we can't do that because we're not getting help right. or they're not getting help. I guess I can't put myself in that category. No, you're in the, Yeah, you are. We're all in it. <laughs> our, all yeah. of our lives change. Your life changed in March. I'm assuming, you know, you're not yeah. working at their, your last job, right? You know? Yeah. That's very fucking true. I was, and I was making moves. It was really, really difficult for me when we made the decision to close. It was like my brother's wedding was the Saturday before all the lockdowns happened. And I was like driving back from LA to SF when like I was hearing all this news and getting texts from the owners and getting texts from my sous chef and my GM, like, what should we do? What are we thinking? This and that. And like the first So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I literally ran, like I set up the kitchen by myself and like redid a, did a to-go version of our food because we were a fine dining sit down Arabic restaurant. Like we weren't set up for like meal kits and shit and chicken bowls. And I'm thinking to myself like, okay, how can we like make this accessible, cheap enough for people that are trying to not spend too much money? Like, so 
three days I pushed this to-go menu that just didn't get bites because we're not known as a to-go restaurant. And like the restaurant, I had just, it had been six months. By January, I had gotten them to a point where they were able to start paying off their debts. So by March, two months into it, like they're just like, it's, it was one of those things where it's like, too deep into it like yes I've done all this work to get us in the green but like it there was no way it was going to be successful in work so what a testament to you though you drove them I mean you already know with the how this works and getting into the green how difficult that is right and it was crazy because the investors had just sat the GM and I down and been like we see what you guys are doing here. You have our full support. Like we're excited for all the changes that you're making. Like I had cut almost 30 shifts out of that restaurant my first month there. It was just like, it was just nuts. And like they saw, they were like, yes, we see what you're doing. But in the end, no matter how well you do, no matter how impressed the investors are in the end, business is business. And, and, that's what that's what succeeds in the end is their decision to cut their losses, you know. And so they made that decision to cut pretty early then in March, you're saying? It was literally three days after shelter in place, like March 14th was my brother's wedding, 15th, 16th, 17th and 18th. I opened for takeout. I barely got like three or four orders a day. Um, and then we just it was after that. We're like, all right, well, we're just going to shut down until further notice. And then like next thing I know they're cutting us our vacay checks and our last checks because they don't want to be paying for the payroll services. So everyone had to technically be terminated and now it's December and here we are. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Is that restaurant no longer in business or will they reopen? Tech. I have, honestly, I don't know what they're going to be doing. As far as I've heard, people are popping up out of it right now. I don't know if Diofa ever will come back or not. Um, That's I'm, no longer an employee of theirs. Right. So right. <laughs> I have no idea. Well, getting back to, do you think that officials like health officials, inspectors, they pick and choose their battles? Oh, it's and- totally like, yes, it's absolutely like who, you know, and it's like who you get lucked out <laughs> with getting paired with. There's some health inspectors that are like, yeah, it all looks good. I know you. I know how you run your operation. Like, I'm not worried. Pass. And then there's other ones that are like, sorry to say it like this. I like swinging their dicks around like they own the place and are like, like have a major case of little man syndrome and are trying to nitpick at like the stupidest shit where you're just like, all right, dude, like this is ridiculous. So uh, I do. I think they pick their battles. I think that they play favorites. Um, I think that, um, and I've seen it both in Oakland and San Francisco alike. Yeah. Sure. Now, when it comes to the pop-ups, do you think that comparing restaurants to pop-ups, I'm just thinking back to what you went through and I mm-hmm. read it, it's beyond you. Like other people have been in your shoes in the past couple months. So mm-hmm. do restaurants there tend to slide by more and pop-ups are more, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, because restaurants, like, they're, I, I feel like the health department's on a schedule. Like, they should technically be checking in on restaurants every year. They're definitely not. I've never worked at a restaurant where we got a health department visit every year. 
Really? No. Yeah, 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 no. Um, so they're definitely not keeping up with that. And and so I feel like restaurants get lo- lost in their rotation, but in a way it's like beneficial to the restaurant because they're not like having somebody breathe down their necks. Um, and pop-ups, I feel like it's really interesting because when I first started it, like people had hit me up, be like, hey, can I put you on this list of pop-ups? And I was like, God, I really want to be on that list because I want the publicity, but I also don't want the health department to catch wind of me. So you get like in this weird, like I want to be this cult type of thing where I'm not on the radar, but without being on the radar, like you, your business starts to fall. So yeah, uh, pop-ups are definitely like, they're definitely coming down hard on pop-ups more than anything else right now. And they're, they're playing it off as like, it's a risk to public safety. Um, You could poison people and you have no insurance. And I'm like, first of all, nobody's holding a gun to anybody's head and saying, come eat my food. Mm-mm. That's number one. True. Like, and the people that are know my pedigree, know where I came from. No, I'm not going to fucking like serve them something that's going to get them sick. And I'm not, especially because literally there'd be nobody to blame, but myself. Right. It would be, I cooked it. I served it. I, I, you, you bought it from me. It came out of my house. Like, obviously that's actually a condition where I'm going to make my shit like so fucking to a T perfect because it's my name and nothing else. So yeah, I mean, that's how I feel about that. And also with you, you, and, and I'm sure you're not the only one. This is such a unique time because it's, you're a known chef. Okay. You have a following and you are doing these pop-ups, you know, it's Mm -hmm. not like some, like, like you said, there are so operation. many chefs, right? There are so, there, and some unknown. There are so many well-known chefs that are out of work right now, just trying to stay busy, relevant, keep some money flowing. And so it's not, it's not some, you know, Susie Homemaker who no one's ever heard of. Right. This that has no Jeff Mona, Lena Michael. Of, and, it's, and that's the thing is like, it's not somebody that has no concept of like bacterial growth and danger zones and like all these things that really matter when you're mass producing and serving the public. Like, I mean, I can't like just the other day at dinner, like my mom was like wrapping up, like putting everything in Tupperwares, like all the leftovers. And then she like closed the lid and I just watched no. condensation start building up. And I was like, mom, it's not cool enough yet. And she's like, no, no, no. It's been sitting for like an hour. And I was like, yeah, but like, you see the condensation that just happened. Like that means that it's not safe to close it and put it in the fridge yet. It's not going to cool down fast enough. Well, like my mother who's been cooking fucking for longer than I've been alive, like who is an incredible cook, who is cleaner than anybody I know, but something like that is just not in her, in her knowledge. Cause she's never worked in a restaurant and had to take a serve safe certification. Right. So that's, that's exactly my point too. I'm not just like some random, even I'm not even just a random line cook. I've ran three restaurants in the last four years. I've opened up two. like, <laughs> right. It's yeah. Crazy. And also I just want to also add when it comes to pop-ups, And we look at, just look around the world. When you travel, how many places is it fairly easy compared to the U.S. for, Mm -hmm. oh, Mona, she makes bomb 
blank, whatever it is, chicken skewers. And she's not a chef, quote unquote, and she's never worked in a restaurant. But guess what? She is out on the street selling those chicken skewers and making a living for her family seven days a week. Mm-hmm. It's just more accessible around the world. Right. You know, we're it is. behind. I was just, I, I don't remember who I was talking to, but somebody that was from Vietnam and they were like, in Vietnam, the health department is, oh, I ate from that car and I was shitting myself all night. I'm never going back there again. And that's how people decide who they're going to frequent and who they're not. Like, he's like, that's the health department of Vietnam. Like, like, that's actually hilarious, but like a really good point. Like, and it, and it's a point to what I said earlier, like there's nobody to blame, but myself, if something goes wrong with somebody's health. So I'm going to make sure my shit's fucking right. Just like anybody else. So I want to quickly talk about, cause you mentioned there are a ton of chefs out of work in the Bay area in San Francisco for people who are listening, who have been there, who maybe not have been there during COVID. Um, can you kind of talk about the difference what's happened? Cause that is a food destination, you know, yeah, a lot of fantastic food comes out of the Bay Area, comes out of San Francisco, and just give us a little bit of a, an update for how many chefs that you know are out of work. Like, is this really is it really a thing? Um, it's definitely a thing. I feel like restaurants have taken a hit, but the chefs that have taken the biggest hit are catering chefs. Um, they have like been out of work and not gone back. Um, the catering company that I used to work for have pivoted to, cause they used to do a lot of big, like Google events and Netflix and Facebook and stuff like that. So they've pivoted into this boxed event thing where they're shipping out like 3000 boxes to Google employees of like drink kits. And then they all have like a virtual, like alcohol video, whatever. I don't know. So I feel like the biggest hit has definitely been catering chefs. Um, obviously the restaurants that have shut down, all those chefs are out of work. Um, but what I find the most heart wrenching is, um, the cooks that are out of work because I've been able to rely on, like you said, my following and the restaurants that I've come from to be able to build something semi-lucrative for myself during this pandemic. Whereas my cooks, my prep cooks, my undocumented workers are left with nothing. So, I mean, I've had like, I have a couple friends who've opened up restaurants during this pandemic that like have been killing it. And they've, they've been like, Hey, can you come work with me? Like, this is what I can pay you. And I'm like, for, for one, like I said earlier, like, uh, it's not worth me to go work for somebody else and get minimum wage or a little bit above that. That's one. But my conscience also wouldn't let me take that job from the people that I know are getting nothing right now, zero money and unemployment. So I've connected a lot of like my cooks from Diafa with a couple restaurants that um, have been looking for cooks. and, And that is what I felt was the right thing to do to not take the, those, those positions from other people, um, that need it more. Um, but that I I feel like, yes, chefs are hurting, but we still are getting unemployment. We're still like, maybe not the federal extra stipend, but we're still getting some 
some money in our pockets um, and we have enough expertise and followings to continue to make some sort of a living. But in the end, the people that are getting smacked the most right now are cooks, especially undocumented cooks. And I don't care who you are. Do not lie to me. Every restaurant in this country has undocumented people working period. there, period. Yep, period. It is. It is what it is. So, I, I mean, like, even to this day, like, there's been, like, a few people that are just hitting me up, like, every week. Do you have any work for me? Have you heard about anybody that's hiring? Like, one of them had a fucking child in the middle of this pandemic, and it's like, I have a newborn, but I need work. Like, I'm ready to work. Do you have anything? You know, it's just, like... It's so difficult to see that. It's really unfair. Well, I'm glad that, I mean, it says a lot about you, that you can step aside, look at all your blessings in this year of loss, but say, "Mm, I'm going to pass that job on. Yeah. It's really funny. Like. I'll thank you for them. Yeah. I I mean, I'm sure they've thanked you plenty, but thank you on behalf of so many like that's a, that's amazing. Yeah, almost he, my whole crew from Diafa is like working at a restaurant together now. It's hilarious. <laughs> I'm like, did I just walk into Diafa, y'all? Like, what's going on? <laughs> well, so we're heading towards the end here, and Chef Mona, I wanted to know what's the one thing that people should know about when it comes to the food scene in the Bay area right now. And also one thing that you are trying to accomplish in that scene. Um, there are a lot of really, really, really cool pop-ups, um, deliveries, all that coming out of this. Like I said, like chefs are, kind of free of the shackles of the restaurants that they worked at and are like all supporting each other, but competing each other. And through competition, there's some really, really amazing food concepts coming out right now. Um, And I encourage people, um, if you're listening and live in Oakland, San Francisco, the Bay area in general, I encourage you to just like hop on Instagram, look up pop-ups in your city, find a food blogger, um, that is, uh, supporting those pop-ups, like make the effort to look for those chefs because they can't afford to pay for PR. They're using social media and their followers to build something. I just know you won't be disappointed. Um, I'm preaching, (laughs) I'm preaching something I'm bad at myself. Uh, pre-plan your meals, support a chef that's, that's trying to make a living. And, like I said, you're not going to be disappointed. There's just been some really, really good food out there, like really good food. Um, and I am one of those chefs that's trying to constantly pivot with the times, trying to stay relevant, trying to um, give people what I think that they're looking for at a time like this. So Yes, support your restaurants on those days that you don't want to think about in advance what you want to eat, but give yourself one or two days a week where you've planned and pre-ordered your meal for the day. And what can people expect from you in in your in your best 2021, like where you there co- the vaccines here or whatever, yeah. COVID is a thing of the past. What what do you 
looking forward to doing and what should people keep their ears open about you? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm actively looking for a brick and mortar right now. Um, and my hopes is that brick and mortar is my space, but also becomes a space for other chefs in my situation um, to have a uh, chef ran commissary kitchen um, that is clean and uh, to a certain standard, um, which is hard to find right now um, and reasonable in price. Um, so that's my goal right now is to open up a space for me and my to go delivery uh, concept also while supporting other chefs um, in doing so as well. Awesome. Uh, Chef Mona, thank you for sharing your story with us. I like ending the podcast by asking if there's any takeaway that you'd like to leave with listeners so that can positively influence their lives. It could be something that we just discussed, a pro tip, general life advice that you live by, anything. Um, I'm going to do a very COVID-based one. Uh, And it helps me kind of get through all the crap is we're all dealing with shit right now. Um, every single person, even those who are still full-time employed and working from home, they're also dealing with the mental exhaustion of not being able to separate their work from their home. Um, and just remember that there is an end in sight. And uh, whenever perhaps you're feeling like I literally can't keep fighting, just remember that everybody's in the same boat and everybody's fighting every day, whether it's financially, mentally, emotionally, all that. Just keep fighting. It's almost there. I really feel like this is the the light at the end of the tunnel. I'm with you. Well, where can people follow you? Uh, I have two Instagrams. I have my personal chef Instagram, Chef Mona Lena. That's with two E's. Um, and then the Mena Ish lady is my pop-up Instagram. Um, should I spell that? Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, the Mena Ish, M-A-N-A-E-E-S-H lady. All right. Well, thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, subscribe to Have You Eaten Yet? Wherever you get your podcasts.